the World, a fictional adventure told in 100 episodes. Episode 29, Way Down in the Hole. Charles Dickens coined the word boredom in his novel Bleak House, written in the 19th century. But the reality of boredom far predates the word's existence. A Roman official in the 2nd century had a memorial dedicated to him for having, quote, saved a town from tedium. How he managed that feat remains a mystery to us moderns. Before the fall down a deep hole, Jen had only experienced something akin to boredom once since her journey to solve the world began. When she first got off the train in Los Angeles, she had no idea what lay in store for her. She wandered the streets, but two things kept her from really absorbing an all-encompassing sense of true boredom. One, fear. Stepping off that train, Jen was stumbling into her first great adventure, her maiden voyage into mystery. That alone brought with it an energy that pushed out against the closing walls of tedium. The other thing, number two, was that despite Jen's lostness, Los Angeles represented a cavalcade of sensual newnesses. There were things to see, smells to inhale, a consortium of objects to touch. Here, way down, the hole worked as a poor man's sensory deprivation chamber. Within merely a few days, Jen's eyes dimmed. There just wasn't much to take in. Dark walls, dark land, dark destiny. Everything, dark. After two weeks, the rations were just about empty. There was nothing to eat, nothing to drink. Conversations hemmed and hawed miasmically. A lone voice, often Lex or Merkel's, would trumpet on about some morose or dark or delirious topic. Though, truth be told, on more than one occasion, Jen found herself disgusted at the subject matter of a particular monologue she overheard, only to realize with stunned shame that the voice was her own. In most cases, Miles Fa would turn the dialogue towards something more manageable, something more palatable for the emotions to endure. One would expect that the dread of the situation, the reality that the most likely outcome to this particular standpoint was starvation for the foursome, would inspire enough fear to ward off boredom. But one would be wrong. Boredom flowed like rivers through Jen's being. Worse still, the boredom interlaced itself with a brand of melancholia which had now infected the whole tribe down in the hole. Only Fa looked to the heavens. He was at once the ringleader, the cheerleader, and the eternal optimist of the group. Gimli will come. He'll bring us news, Miles said, and we'll send news back with it. The others will come. Once they understand, they'll come. No one's coming for us. We're on our own. We got the mole men with us. Somewhere, Jen offered. The reunion with Merkel did not lead to an end of the scratches and squeaks. No, they persisted. From all around. At times, when Jen used all her strength to incline her ear towards the mystery, she swore to herself that the noises came from underneath. Her mind filled up with machinations of a whole network of tunnels just underneath them just below their feet. Sometimes the noises were so loud, so seemingly close, that the group braced for an appearance by the scritching apparitions. 
What do you think they talk about down there? Miles asked. Who? Lex said. The Mole Men. What are they up to today? Do you think they can talk? Of course. How else could they accomplish all this? All this? Jen mimed with a degree of disgust. Don't think about them that way, Merkel grumbled. Why not? Because if you keep adding a complex mythology to them, if you actually believe they talk to one another, then you might move that much more slowly when it's time to catch them. That split-second hesitation will be the difference between starvation and a full tummy. Merkel, while not being anything close to the optimist Miles was, found strength in the all-consuming notion that he was going to catch and eat one of these mole men. Time slid. Miles had declared himself the tribe's reader extraordinaire, and he took his duty quite seriously. He had read every page of Jen's copy of 50 People Whom I Pity, often with scrupulous personal reflections and disagreements. He found the author to be unduly condescending, flat-out wrong on most occasions, and almost on every page, Miles was quick to point out the unending run-on sentences that the author preferred to utilize. After reading the write-up on Cleopatra, Miles spat at the page and ripped it out of the book. Jen, much to her own surprise, didn't find Miles' display of noble indignation alarming. She didn't yell at him for destroying a piece of the only thing that connected her to Atticus further. No, Jennifer Dash smirked. She knew that Miles knew that she played Cleopatra at Magical Kingdom. He was defending her honor. Fa was making a point. The Cleopatras of the world are not to be pitied, by no means. They are to be held in high reverence. And if Miles has to forcibly remove Cleopatra from bad company, then he's willing to go that distance. Jennifer's heart couldn't help but flutter a little. She picked the torn page off the ground, reading the author's warning at the bottom of the page once more. Remember, remember, guile and wisdom alone won't spare you from destruction. Never tie your fate to the selfish aspirations of lesser souls. Be angry and dispatch. A day or two later, while Combs sat upon the remnants of the hole, Jen penned a short letter on the torn-out Cleopatra page. Atticus, you helped me once before. Help me again. Save us. We're starving on an island in the Pacific, somewhere west of Peru. Atticus, we fell in a hole searching for Pishtaco's island. We're going to die. Please find me. Save me. I love... Jen. She couldn't quite write, I love you. A sort of pride had bubbled up and made her stop. She'd never told a boy she loved him before. She wasn't about to start now. Beautiful words should come from beautiful moments, not from a pit of despair. Before the moment washed away into the next doldrum of boredom, before Jen smashed the note into her ashen pockets, close at hand so she could offer it up to Gimli at a moment's notice, she scribbled this postscript. P.S. Lilith Babbitt. Once again, Jen stopped mid-sentence. She wanted to say something like, Lilith Babbitt will help you find us. Or, Lilith Babbitt can figure out where we are. Or even, Lilith Babbitt knows what to do. But Jen wasn't sure of any of that anymore. She had a penchant for qualifying people in categories of either good or bad. For obvious reasons, and perhaps necessary ones as well, Jen had fastened Lilith securely in as an empress of the good. But look where Lilith had led her. To this hole in the earth. 
much more than six feet under. Time slid by. In boring, desperate places, interesting things happen in bundles. One day, after multiple days of nothingness, four, count them, four interesting things happened. Interesting thing number one, the end of the rations came. Marco had stopped eating anything but crumbs for a week already, so the measly food offerings and water droplets had stretched a bit longer than expected. But today, it all came to an end. <laughs> Examining the dearth, Lex started crying. Stop it! Stop it! Merkel yelled. You can't afford to cry. For some reason, that was it. The notion that one shouldn't cry in order to reserve water just battered the walls down. Miles, eternal optimist extraordinaire, dissolved into hysterics. <laughs> Lex grabbed Miles, pulled him into her dirty shirt, and the two cried together. Jen was angry. Why are you here, Merkel? And as she spat vitriol at him, Jen's eyes watered and she broke down. Way down in the hole, Miles reached out to Jen and pulled her in. The three friends cried together in a huddled mass, <laughs> thankful in their desperation for one another. Merkel, the isolated one, crawled into the small passageway, connecting his hole with the groups. The others were unaware, but I'll tell you this secret now. Alone in that small cave, Merkel cried too. As the three cooled down from the ceremonial cry fest, interesting thing number two began. It's so loud. Merkel, you hear this? Miles called. The older man crawled back into the main hole. They're coming. Merkel grabbed his machete and held it in ready position. They're right underneath us. How many? At least three. Probably more. Maybe lots. Then, silence. What's going on? Why'd they stop? Lex asked, astonished at the sudden silence. They're prepping for an attack. Merkel's gaze informed the troop of a coming battle. Lex grabbed Merkel's pocket knife, flicking it to the ready position. Miles and Jen stared at each other as if to ask, What are you gonna use? Miles grabbed at his feet, unlacing his shoes. He slipped his shoe off and handed it to Jen. Here, it's steel-toed. Jen took the shoe. She raised it above her head, ready to slam it on top whatever hideous thing comes up from the dirt ash beneath them. Miles snagged his matchbook from his pocket. He had two matches left. They'd used most of the book a week back when Lex had the, quote, genius idea, unquote, to make a smoke signal. It didn't go so well. Jen shot Miles a bewildered yet amused look as Miles held his match at the ready. Maybe they're afraid of fire. Jen shrugged and they waited for the imminent attack. <laughs> they knew it was coming. 
poor group huddled in their hole, figuring ways to trap as much rain as possible. It continued to rain hard for 35 minutes or so, and then puttered to a drizzle off and on for the next two hours or so. The pit filled several inches full with water. Every bottle, container, and what have you was filled to the brim. Jen, Lex, Miles, and Merkle weren't going to die of thirst. At least not yet. Not today. Interesting thing number three occurred around sunset. Jen had a bowel movement. This indeed was news, and welcome news at that, for Jen hadn't had such an experience in well over a week. The troop figured pretty early on that they needed a designated defecation area. It didn't take much imagination to figure out that Merkel's hole was the perfect candidate for a makeshift outhouse. It was the only place isolated from the group. Add to that, it gave a level of privacy to the act, which allowed the group to still maintain some degree of dignity between one another, despite their inhospitable circumstances. It was a wet, soggy situation, and after so many days of unsuccessful attempts, it wasn't exactly a pleasant endeavor, and it hurt. But it was an event, a change, something by which to mark and remember this day. As it turned out, however, after sunset, while under a moony glow, interesting thing number four would cement the day as one Jen would never forget. Nights in the hole were difficult because of there being just enough heat to make things uncomfortable. It was never an overwhelming heat. No one swept themselves into submission. The temp was just a couple ticks too high. A system was needed. Alexandra took to the crawl space for rest. She was dainty enough that the tunnel didn't crowd her in as it did the other three. That left Merkel, Miles, and Jen. The diameter of the hole wasn't long enough for anyone to sleep fully outstretched from edge to edge, so a system was put into place. Miles, the tallest, slept on the outside ring of the circle. Jen, next tallest, rested her head by Miles' knees and slept on a second semicircular track, while Merkel, the shortest, slept in a fetal position at the centermost point of the circle. The trick allowed everyone to sleep without having to touch each other, which was the one surefire way of sweating in the night and thus causing universal crankiness amongst the hole-going dwellers. On this night, sometime after everyone took to their muddy places for rest, a little earlier than usual, the day's excitement seeping extra ounces of energy from the quartet, a fifth being came amongst them. No one saw it for who knows how long. Ironically, Miles, not Merkel, was the first to see it. It stood on its four legs, or paws, inches from Merkel's feet. Miles awoke, stared at it, nudged Jen. Jen opened her eyes to take in this new sight. Its body looked to be that of a hedgehog. It was spiky and roundy, maybe a foot long from nose to tail. But it divorced itself from any hedgehog Jen had ever seen before for two reasons. For one, its face wasn't pointy. It was broad and large. Far too large for its body, almost human. Looking at it, its features made its appearance look somewhere between cute and hideous. It caught Jen's stare, stared back for a moment motionlessly, and then rolled right onto its back, revealing a small, what would you call it, fanny pack, Jen guessed. Halfway in the fanny pack pouch was an unopened Baby Ruth candy bar, hanging out like a joey in its mother's pouch. A folded note laid taped to the candy bar. On the outside, the note read in all caps, Take me. The hedge creature remained motionless on its back, apparently waiting for Jen to take the note. Mer- Merkel, Jen whispered. Merkel, don't move. Merkel opened his eyes and, without moving, caught Miles' line of sight. 
The two gestured to one another and slowly, Merkel grabbed hold of his machete. I think it wants me to take it. Take what? Merkel slipped his feet away from the beast and slowly, silently, steadied into a position to hack the intruder to bits. He's got a baby Ruth on his belly. It seemed as though the creature's eyes were growing, becoming big doughy discs like some sort of sympathetic Disney animation. From the crawl space. Guys, are you whispering about me? Lex called out as she shimmied into the main hole. Like a bullet, Merkel's machete hammered down. Too late. Jen had watched as the creature tossed the baby Ruth out of its fanny pack, turned into a ball, and nearly teleported into the ground below. He must have clawed at the ground, but it happened so fast it appeared to Jen that the thing evaporated. Merkel's machete beat the ground. The little creature even managed to cover his newly minted hole as he descended into God knows what underneath them. Jeez, Merkel, you nearly hacked off Jen's leg! Jen hadn't even noticed that Merkel's hack came no more than an inch from her shin. Where'd it go? Merkel shouted. Guys, what's going on? Lex cried. A visitor came, Miles answered. The vermin! Merkel sneered and began searching for a tunnel underneath his machete. As Lex scooted into the hole, she saw what was left behind. What's that? In a matter of minutes, the baby Ruth was divided up. No rationing. Lex ate a third, Jen ate a third, and Miles ate a third. Instantaneously. No waiting. None of them could resist it. Merkel, however, claimed to have peanut allergies said the allergy was bad enough that even food-touching peanuts could make him deathly ill. No one argued, and the hearts of Lex and Jen both secretly felt convinced that Merkel was lying. He was just becoming a martyr for the cause. But what can you do if a person refuses to eat? You can't force-feed him, try to call his bluff. If you're wrong, you've just murdered a man, not to mention wasted some of the precious baby Ruth. I'll eat well enough when I skin that critter. Then came the note. It was folded in half. Lex opened it and read it out loud. Welcome to hole number 043. You will be hearing from the numbered man soon. Enjoy your stay. I'm gonna kill that critter with this machete, Merkel said in response to the note. I'll lick his blood off my blade. Who was the numbered man? Jen surmised that he was the boss of this place. She'd run into bosses everywhere she'd been so far. Patriot, Security of Magical Kingdom, Mark Janner, Mrs. Moose, Love of Babbitt, Captain Alf, and now, the numbered man. It's an ominous name, Jen thought to herself. No chance he's a good boss. Good thing I'm not alone. Although the note was exciting, and the rain and Baby Ruth both quite tasty, similar to the day after Christmas, the quartet didn't know what to do with themselves after all the hoopla settled down. Great, there was another man on the island. Can we talk to him? No. Can we search for him? No. Maybe the game pieces had been set, but there was no play. Not yet. At least, that was how Miles, Jen, and Lex saw the script. Merkel, on the other hand, knew exactly what he needed to do. Answer? Stay vigilant. Merkel was not to sleep, not to talk, not to do anything but stay always at attention, machete in hand, ready to whack a mole whenever the right moment arose. He was caught sleeping at the job once. He would not be found lacking again. The next morning, the three still sane members of apparent hole number 43 found in themselves an extra zest for life. Yesterday had new adventures in it. Maybe today would as well. Maybe they'd hear from the numbered man. Anything was welcomed at this point. Any action was considered a blessing. But the day came and went. 
They played jukebox on command a dozen or more times. Jen always lost. The rules of the game were simple. You had to sing a song, as much or as little of the song as desired. Whenever you stop singing, the next person in line immediately has to start singing a new song. No repeats allowed. The game is challenging in that it's hard to think up a new song when you're already listening to one. All this is made infinitely harder, of course, when you're begging and praying in your mind that another little hedgehog monkey thing comes and brings you some new scrumptious treat. Jen kept finding herself fantasizing that the little rodent man thing would somehow unfold a giant pizza from his handy pouch on his next visit. But no luck. The day came and went. No rodent. No message. No numbered man. Everyone but Merkel slept. The next day, Merkel's eyes appeared so bloodshot to the tribe that it looked as if the man must himself be blind. When questioned, he'd just grumble some answer and say that he can't leave his work. A work which entailed him staring at the ground below incessantly. From time to time, they'd hear the scritchings and scratchings again, but nothing ever came of it. Time slid right on by some more. Jen just lost the days, lost count of them, lost any notion of keeping track of them. They just fell. Fell like the wind, fell like the breeze, fell away. Then came Merkel's big moment. One random night, sometime in the midst of nothingness, in his fetal position spot in the hole, Merkel had dug two small holes for his arms, hoping that the tunneling demons would unexpectedly run into his hands, where he had his pocket knife ready to rip into anything that came by. It's true, he nearly pulled it off. With his hands buried below the ground, the rodent emerged once more. Not, however, from underneath, from somewhere else, from the side. It waddled in to catch Merkel's glare right away. Merkel immediately scurried his arms as quickly as possible out of the holes he'd placed them in. If only he'd stayed vigilant and kept watch with his machete at hand, he would have had the drop on the thing, no problem. But here, now, things weren't going as planned. <coughs> Merkel yelled. Everyone woke up and the creature buried itself once more. But this time, Merkel leaped just at the right moment to catch the hole the creature left. Apparently, Merkel grabbed its tail, to which it swung around and bit his point of It bit him and retreated when Merkel retracted his arm in panic. He held up his hand in the moonlight to stare at the evidence. The creature had bit Merkel. You're infected, Miles said emotionlessly. What have you done? Lex once again shimmied into the hole. What happened? What happened this time? It came back? Did it leave any food? Everyone was motionless. Lex caught the sight. She saw the line of blood ooze down Merkel's hand. I'm... I'm fine. It... It was the griffin that carried the disease, not... Not this thing. Yeah, we don't know what diseases this one has. It's just a type of rodent. A mole, right? Not some genetic freak like the griff. Lex trailed off. I saw its face. It doesn't look normal to me. Jen confessed. What do we do with you, Merkel? Lex said. What do you do with me? What do you do with me? I'm the only one trying to keep us alive down here! No. Last time that thing came, it brought food. You scared it off, didn't you? You tried to kill it, and it's gone, and it won't ever come back. We're gonna starve down here because of you! We can't live on candy bars. How many ribs can you count right now? Hmm? We're already starving. That carcass was going to buy us another week, maybe two. Merkel defended himself. We were never going to eat it, Merkel, Miles said. What? Jen said. 
We can't roast it. If we were going to eat it, we'd have to eat it raw. Which, unless we're at the very precipice of death, we're not going to do because the likelihood of it carrying bacteria and a whole host of things that could poison us into death is just about 100%. Miles turned his attention away from responding to Jen back towards Merkel. I was letting you play Hunter because I thought it was important to you to have a mission, to feel as if you were remaining in control, but I was wrong. You want to kill me? No, but you can't stay with us. You very well might be infected with that that thing. Or you're just going to get sick and you're going to die. Either way, it's too dangerous for us to be around you right now. But there's... but there's nowhere to... It dawned then on Merkel what Miles was saying. It would take Jen a moment longer. It wouldn't sink in until she watched Merkel trudge away, banished to the poop hole. No one spoke. Merkel went to his waste space silently, without protest. No one slept that night. Quarantine is a tricky operation living down in a hole. The next day, Miles had taken to an unfortunate form of leaking. A day earlier, before Merkel was bit on the finger by that thing, Fa would have utilized the outhouse to do his uncomfortable duty. Now, however, that area was off limits. That left only the crawlspace to the quarantined area as a viable option. So, Miles had to scoot into the crawlspace, rummage somehow onto his back, and lay there while moderate cramping and leakage ran its course. Lex took to singing. Her throat was too sore, too tired, and malnourished to produce much of a tone at this point, so the singing, though sounding quite adequate in Lex's mind, came out as undulating warbles and quelfs. As for Jen, she spent most of the day standing, looking up at the sky far above, dreaming of a renewed life, a start-over button, trying to not think about Merkel. And most of all, she thought about Atticus further. Between Fa's leaking bouts, he'd whisper to himself long, long diatribes about unknown things. The myriad things still trapped in Miles' head were using his broken body to claw out any way they could. No one of the three heard any word, whisper, or shout from the quarantine corridor. It was maybe an hour before sunset, right around what would have been time for ration dinner when it came. Jen, still standing, knew at once what it was. Like a dove, he descended upon them. The majestic Gimli, savior of hole number 43, welcomed postman of the adventure schooner Orion, champion of the seven seas, hardened pilot of all the winds of the earth, the great trumpeter, the eternal newsman, the hope giver, the bringer of truth, the harbinger of certainty. At last, at last, the noble and eloquent gentle bird had found the miserable ones of Pish Taco's pit. How long had Jen yearned for this moment, eagerly sought out the foul silhouette in the sky? Hope springs eternal. Life gives way to life anew. Hope springs eternal. This meant so many things, maybe even word from Atticus. Gimli had proven his worth once already by bearing that message from the Pelican State boy, and Jen had sent word back to Louisiana with Gimli weeks, maybe even months now ago. This could be it. This could be the real deal, and beyond breathless words from further, it could send an SOS to the Orion, to the once departed members. This meant rescue, this meant safe return, this meant reunion. Tears of happiness trickled down Jen's eyes. She pulled out the dirty scrap of Cleopatra's story that she'd scribbled her words to Atticus on. 
She raised it high in her hand, up for Gimli to snatch up with his message bearing talons. Gimli, here! We're here! (laughs) Jen screamed with glee, and the gold descended. He was so large. Enormous, really. His form seemingly filled with the entirety of the whole. Gimli, you made it! Here, here, Gimli! Those talons, so large, more like a lion than a bird. Jen had never noticed before how stunningly grand Gimli truly was. Jen! Jen, duck! It's not Gimli! Jen didn't recoil in time. Miles found the machete and raised it toward the flying freak. Talons clasped onto Jen's outstretched hand and sunk into her flesh. Solve the World is produced by myself, Dante Stack. You can find appropriate attribution for all the music and sound effects found in this episode and every other episode of Solve the World at our website, DanteStack.com, on our show notes page. Is Jen infected with the plague? Is she doomed? The griffin's talons have pierced her skin, just like the doomed woman on the known triangle. Adventure always seems so carefree from the outset, but its perils know no humanity, no mercy. It's death for Jen, Miles, Lex, and Merkel, unless Fortune finally decides to smile down on the suffering quartet next time on Solve the World.